Hello and welcome to the Library Coven, a bi-weekly podcast in which two bookish besties discuss mostly YA fantasy through the lens of intersectional feminist criticism. Why? Because critique is our fangirl love language and because talking about books is pretty magical. I'm Jessie. And I'm Kelly. And today we are talking about A Song of Wraiths and Ruin by Roseanne A. Brown, a dual POV story where we follow Malik as he attempts to kill the princess Karina in order to save his little sister who has been abducted by a wraith and Karina who is dealing with the death of her family, learning all kinds of family secrets and trying to keep the city of Zoran safe. And of course, Karina and Malik have some feelings for each other. There's a competition for Karina's hand in marriage. Malik is kind of learning about his powers, and it all takes place during a once every 50 years festival called Solstagia. And Malik needs to kill Karina before it's over in order to get his sister back. Our call to action this week is, if you're listening to this episode when it comes out, it's on Jesse's birthday, October 20th. Yeah, I said it. I said it, everyone. Register to vote. You need to vote. Fucking vote. And then also, don't stop at voting. There's lots of other things to do. One of the things that this book talks about is anxiety. Less on the societal level than it is on an individual level. So yeah, we got to take care of ourselves, too. So that's the other thing I would say. You might have noticed at the top of the show that we didn't say welcome to JK, it's magic, and that's because we're changing the show name to the Library Coven. We're still going to talk about magical books, but we wanted a name that fit us better and wasn't associated with JKR in any way. Thank you to everyone who voted in our Instagram poll, everyone who suggested names, and a special thank you to Ellie, aka Velocereader, for your excellent advice. We love the name and we hope you'll continue to be part of our show. Join the Coven on Discord by becoming a Patreon supporter. You might see some link changes um, because everything is getting updated with our new name, but we'll keep you all in the loop. Oh, one more thing about the Discord. If you want to join and don't have the capacity to support us financially, that's totally fine. Just send us a heads up on social media or email and we will hook you up. Initial reactions. I really enjoyed this book. We don't read a ton of books with the male POV, but I really loved Malik and how sweet he is and how close he was with his sisters. Um, But I also really liked Karina too. I'm excited to see how they are pitted against each other in the next book, A Psalm of Storms and Silence. And I'm happy it's a duology, so we don't have to wait forever to see how it turns out. What about you? I didn't know that this was a duology, so that is exciting news for me. It seems like most of the time we're reading trilogies, if not more. So it's refreshing. I love, love, loved Malik's point of view chapters. He was so relatable and sweet, like you said. And the sister relationships. Love. Especially Nadia. Oh, my gosh. So cute. So funny. Yeah, the character development was good. World building was great. I'm excited to see where this goes. Let's get into it. Time to talk about world building in Through the Wardrobe. In this book, we see that promises are marked by tattoos, which really reminded me of Akatar. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to try and learn more about tattoos and promises and if that's like um, something that other cultures do or if it is something that used to be done, you know, like in years past, um, because I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, maybe we can do some research and, and look up some things and put in the show notes. I'm editing, right? 
You're editing. (laughs) I want to shout out the gorgeous map of the world that is called Sonande. I loved all the place names and descriptions, which was nice because the the last one we did was Bruja Born, right? No. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the one before that, A Curse So Dark and Lonely, I thought the place names were kind of meh. I don't know. It's just like a small detail that I think makes a big difference. And love a map. But you didn't have the map. No, I listened to the audiobook, which I loved. It was really well done. And I think, sorry, I finished it like a week ago. It was like two different people doing the voices, one for Malik and one for Karina, which is really, I really like that. Well, it kind of depends. Sometimes I like it, but this one was really well done. So I'd really recommend the audiobook. But then, of course, you don't really get like the maps um, or any other paratext. <laughs> <laughs> Solstasia, this big festival, was definitely a cornerstone of the world building. A lot of the plot action revolves around this central event. I liked how it was a classic X number of challenges trope that was moving the plot forward and giving a structure for the novel. But at the same time, it was much more than that. So it was just helpful, I guess, as a reader for me to organize like, okay, this is how this is. Maybe this should have gone and kill your darlings. Who cares? Whatever. But I think that was just helpful for me to then like latch other parts of the world building onto that central structure. Yeah. And it had like Hunger Games vibes to me. Like I feel like if you liked Hunger Games, well, I guess Hunger Games is like one big thing. But either way, for some reason, it gave me like Hunger Games vibes to like see the challenges and that kind of thing, which was kind of cool because like it's been a while (laughs) since I read Hunger Games. There's a whole hidden necropolis city, which is so cool. I did not really expect that. Although maybe I should have seen that coming because there's a lot of like cities built on top of ruins, built on top of cities and that sort of thing. I love one of these little mysteries put in there. It reminded me a lot of the episode of Lovecraft Country that I watched last night. There's one of them in the series plays with um, this adventure novel, Indiana Jones and Laura Croft, Tomb Raider type tropes that we've really only seen on the big screen, at least adapted by white people and colonizers. Yeah, this just gave me like, it was just so good. It's like kind of scary and creepy. And with the like petrified bodies and stuff like that. Very, mm, so good. Very seasonal. Yeah, I didn't see it coming at all. Like I didn't even think of that. It was a little creepy. It kind of made me think of like ancient Egypt, like pyramids and stuff which I used to love when I was a kid. Same. So interesting. Yeah. Did you want to talk about the non-magical creatures? Oh, yeah. We could talk about those. I skipped that. (laughs) I love when the world building extends to, like, non-humans also. We had, in this book, a lot of non-magical and incredible creatures, like the Chipekwe, which is like an enormous rhino thing, I think, that was bred to hunt elephants. There's also these jungle walrus-type things called dingo keks. And then a serpapard, which was in the necropolis city, which is like serpent and leopard and also very big. It just reminded me of like the lion airs and the snow leopard from Children of Blood and Bone. I love this sort of stuff. Yeah, I, I do kind of wonder, like thinking about how it was similar to Children of Blood and Bone, if like some of these come from like like West African folk tales. Um, I like the idea of that, although I don't know if it's true. (laughs) Something for Kelly to research. (laughs) I was doing a little bit of pre-gaming for the episode, trying to find information about the Obasom. 
which is the serpent type that a deer is. I got part of the way there and it looks like there are connections to like West African culture, but I'll do some more digging input information in the show notes. Perfect. Wands out. Let's discuss all things magic. We have wraiths, magical creatures, and necromancy in this book. I think I tie the wraiths to like an ember in the ashes and probably will forever now because I think it's the first book I read with them in it. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly mentioned the magical creatures and then Karina is like, she's like found this book of the dead. I think that's what it's called. I don't remember. But um, she's like wants to bring back her sister. At first she's like, I wish I, or she wants to bring back her mom who is the queen so that she can like deal with all the bullshit going on so that. (laughs) There's a lot of court intrigue too. We forgot to mention that. Yeah. But then in the end, that guy whose name I don't remember brings back her sister Hanan. It was funny because like once we started to get to the end, I was like, I don't trust this guy. Like something seems weird and then like two seconds later he was like i'm bringing back your sis <laughs> she's you're gonna have a zombie sister now surprise yeah yeah zombie sister dang we're getting a lot of zombies coming around like mm-hmm. like the casi muertos and bruja born yeah so maybe zombies are where it's at right now you know sorry vampires <laughs> <laughs> afua was this really pivotal character She's coming in with all the knowledge. She had a lot of the like magical system info dump roles. She was explaining what Nekra Nekra is, Nekra Mm -hmm. is, which is like a web of energy. It kind of reminded me of Chi and Zawenji and Ulraji are the two types of magic. And then people are like channeling Nekra when they do that magic. Right. Am I explaining this right? I think so. Sometimes once it's been a little while since I read the book, everything starts to leave my mind and make space for the next book. So (laughs) it is on page 213 and 215, one of these big info dumps that tells you a lot about how the magical system works. I thought that was really helpful and maybe would have been a little bit helpful earlier on or maybe like having a glossary because I found I was like, Raji tell Ra, I kind of forget what they are. I don't know. There was a lot of specific vocab but you just pick it up as you go along and Afua that was a little girl right yeah she was like 11 or something I thought it was also cool to get all that information from like a child because we normally see them as like not really having much knowledge to give to people so I thought that was pretty cool very good point we got a little bit of a reveal at the end that the sentinels so these like elite fighters who have been really kind of like a terrorism task force throughout the novel are Dewenji that are forced to fight that are like conscripted into the army or whatever for the for Zeron but also like magically like they don't seem to have a choice mm-hmm. right yeah okay like they're forced to do it they have no other choice in theory I don't know we'll see I think we'll see more about that because I'm sure that they'll be a part of the fighting force that Fareed and Hanane, Hanan? Hanan. Okay, thank you. Hanan mm-hmm. will be using in the next book, so we'll see. If Hanan even, like, takes Fareed's side, like, part of me, I know she's, like, back from the dead, so I don't know how that will change her personality, and I assume it will in some way because that is, like, the way that things work. It'd be cool if Hanan didn't take Fareed's side. Yeah. We'll see. What do you think about, like, the the way of organizing the magical system that each day has a deity and then your alignment determines how you get, how you like use magic. And what do you think about that? 
I thought it was really cool. I think the magical system is like kind of expansive. So like, I think for it being book one, it's like kind of hard for me to keep it all in there where they're supposed to be in my head. But I mean, like all fantasy, I think you just kind of like go with it and you kind of pick things up as you go along or maybe on a reread, you kind of like, oh, I didn't realize this or I didn't realize that. But it kind of reminds me of like Greek and Roman mythology, you know, like those kinds of things. So or Norse, I guess even. I thought it was pretty cool. I think it would take me a while to like get the hang of it because I can barely remember my Greek and Roman gods, but <laughs> it kind of like, <laughs> it's kind of like that or like the Orisha in um, Children of Blood and Bone or the Orisha in real life. There's just a lot of them to learn, which is maybe why people like move to monotheism because they're like, I can't keep track of all these different people. Let's just keep track <laughs> of one. <laughs> but I definitely like a world with lots of different gods and deities and stuff. I think is way more interesting. Agreed. Agreed, agreed. I did some research because I can't help myself on English day names and origins. If you're interested, here's the scoop. Sunday, self-explanatory. Monday comes from moon day. You can tell because lunes in Espanol, luna, moon. Tuesday in Spanish, it's martes, so it's for the Roman deity Mars. And tiu is the Germanic deity of war. So both of them are war deities. So that's Tuesday. Wednesday, if you go to the French, Mercredi, you can see that it's it comes from Mercury, a.k.a. Hermes, and then Woden in the Germanic tradition, who is also Odin. So that became Wednesday. Thursday, in Spanish, it's Jueves for Jove, Jupiter, whatever. Also Thor's Day. Friday, Viernes for Venus. It's also Frigg and Freya in the Norse and Teutonic traditions. So that came Friday. And finally, Saturday for Saturn, a.k.a. Kronos. So there you go. The last thing that I want to mention about the magical system is that I think we've read enough fantasy by now to know that there's always more to those magical deals than the characters expect. Like if you're going to do a deal with a magical creature, be it a fairy or a wraith or whatever, you better be expect the unexpected. Yeah. It's funny. Every time I see this, I'm like, haven't you ever read a fantasy <laughs> book before, guys? Like, <laughs> this isn't going to turn out how you think it will. <laughs> but then I'm like, oh, yeah, of course they haven't. Like, that would kind of ruin the book. Although I would love to see a book about someone who has read a ton of fantasy and they're like, this isn't going to happen the way I think it will. I cannot... I guess it's kind of Alice from um, A Blade So Black. Like she's like Frodo going to Mordor yeah. or whatever. She's always like about the has all this like like knowledge about like movies and pop yeah. culture and stuff. So she's kind of like, mm, I don't know if I trust <laughs> this, which I love. <laughs> but yeah, don't don't make deals with the devil, you guys. It doesn't work out in your favor. <laughs> or be prepared for it to not work out. Yeah. Or it's like with fairies, like you got to think about how they would think of things so that they, you know, like if they're lying, you know, so you have to like, yeah, you just have to be like very clever. It's like lawyers and politicians and shit. Oh my God. I bet a lawyer would be so good at making (laughs) these deals. (laughs) Be like, get me the best lawyer so I can make this deal with this wraith real fast. (laughs) It reminds me, I used to watch Suits, which like Meghan Markle. Yeah. So like I knew of her, I loved her. I never beforehand. watched it, but and then I was like, "Oh my yeah. god, you're marrying who?" And then, "Oh my god, you're leaving because you're way too good for them." Yes, you are. Go, Megan. Anyway, well, and because Harry's far away enough from the throne that he True. can just leave. True. So let's not forget that there are lots of rules in place that could have kept him there if Kate and William didn't have as many children as they do. That's a good point. Our resident royal expert here. 
You're welcome. I'm real excited for the next season <laughs> of The Crown, just so y'all know. Baby Wayne, <laughs> did I hear her jingle? Oh, you might have. She's like, I can't show you because it'll make too much noise, but she's like cleaning herself right now. So cute. Wands away. Now we're going to talk about conflict, villains, and good, evil, et cetera, et cetera, in our segment. Get me Kylo Ren. I feel like this story has a lot of villainous people, um, but two kind of stand out the most, and that's Fareed, who we didn't know was a villain until the very end, and Adir, who kidnapped Nadia in order to get Malik to agree to kill Karina. Kill is in quotation marks, because I guess he didn't need to kill her. He just needed to, like, Again, the semantics. Her, like, the, the, the magical yeah, deals. Yeah, the semantics. Yeah, it's hard with Adir, because I don't really know what's going to come of that character. Like, it seems like he was tricked by like generations past of Mm -hmm. Karina's family so I don't really know if he's a villain or if he's just like trying to like work out his shit with these people like I mean basically it's family drama yeah (laughs) it is (laughs) but for Reed I did not see you coming until the very end when he's like taking Karina and Tunde to like be like locked away for like their Mm -hmm. safety their safeties in quotation marks I started to be like this seems suspicious like something seems weird here and then he's like killing tune day and i'm like what the fuck (laughs) didn't see it coming i started distrusting him earlier on in the book i was like "Uh uh-uh at one point she was it was something about remember when the commander was like don't tell anyone and then at one point in karina's exposition several chapters later she's like but farid wasn't anyone and i'm like that means he's the person like that's it should have seen it it like i was like yep it's him especially when the rest of the council like that whole scene with the council and the poisoning or maybe not poisoning very princess bride that was so badass so good loved it there's just so many little thing gems to talk about yes definitely i think the villain to your point is it kind of depends on the perspective because adir we find out was tricked by bahia alahari karina's ancestor she killed her baby in order to create the barrier to keep Saran safe, quote unquote. But it's like, safe for whom? We've seen how people who aren't from Zaran are treated within the walls of Zaran. So it's like, this idea of safety and who you're going to do it for is something that we have to question a lot more, I think. And so then Adir, who is like the father of this child, and so he didn't agree to that. And when, but then he is the person who's like the villain of the story, the faceless king. He says this at one point in the, in the novel. Right. Like she killed her baby and I'm the villain of the story sort of thing. So it does really depend on your perspective and this novel for sure. What do you think? Yeah, I definitely agree. I'm like, now that you say that, I'm like, oh, my gosh, is he's going to be like a Rissand character? Am I going to be in love with him in the next book? <laughs> with a deer, I mean, <laughs> probably not, because it also seems like so it seems like now if I'm remembering correctly, Malik is with Farid and Farid is going to like teach him some stuff yes. now at the end and is Karina with Adir now like like they've like swapped allegiances Adir is trapped in Malik's mind so Malik is possessed slash is like cohabitating his body with the spirit and they're with Farid and they're both part of the Ilraji Tel Ras who were like this sorcerer guild that worked for the Kenuan Empire which were the pharaohs that like had slaves, et cetera, et cetera. Bef- and then that's Bahia Alihari was a slave and she revolted. And so the whole slave revolt is what brought about the city of Zaran. I was kind of confused about this. I think we'll learn more in the next 
I know we'll learn more. And I think like as we see in the next novel, as Malik is learning more about this from Fareed, I'm sure that we'll get that information as readers. No, I think so for sure. Uh, I just, I'm like interested to see what's going to happen with a deer. Cause I also kind of feel bad for him because like now a deer is like, you know, I don't think he did anything wrong. He was helping you know? her do her slave revolt. Yeah. Which is like, okay, yeah, mm-hmm. you should do that. And then like they killed his kid. Like that seems like pretty fucked up. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, it's also hard because like a deer is not really the most reliable and neither right. is Fareed. And I feel like that's where we're going to get a lot of information mm-hmm. from. So we'll see what happens. There's also, I would say, similarly to what we talked about in Bruja Born, there's a lot of parallels actually with the zombies. So the like going against the rules of nature or magic or whatever by performing a resurrection rite. Hanan is now a lich. Mm-hmm. Leech? However you pronounce that. Which are Casi Muertos, basically, I guess. We'll s- I'm excited to see more of what yeah. that means in book two. But also another point that I think the two books have in common is that like accidents are what causes a lot of tragedy and trauma. So Karina's powers sparked the palace fire that then leads her dad and her older sister um, like to their deaths. And so she has a lot of guilt about that. And she's repressed these memories until Fareed blows up at her and is like info dumping on her at the end. So yeah, that's another thing that I, that came to mind for me. Yeah. And something that also maybe wouldn't have happened if they had like been, like if her mom had paid any attention to Mm -hmm. Karina and realized she had some magical powers, it reminded me very much of like Frozen. (laughs) I'm just like, if you guys had just dealt with this when it started, Mm -hmm. it wouldn't be here. Perhaps some (laughs) radical candor. (laughs) Can you you talk about that for a second? (laughs) Okay, so before Kelly and I started recording, we always like to chat and catch up because we don't live near each other anymore. Sad face. I don't even know how Radical Candor came up. I think I said it something was like, to you. You said something really <laughs> honest to me, like, we'll see if you've been finished the fucking series you're watching or whatever. And I'm like, okay, yep. yeah, you're right. Yep. And I called it Radical Candor as a joke because Radical Candor is just being honest with people. So I don't know why, like, white people had to rename it something <laughs> else. I'm like not really here for that like just call it honesty that's what radical candor is just being honest to people so it's just like (laughs) not reading your book you're not making money off of telling me how to be honest (laughs) with people (laughs) and also like who gets to be honest with whom you know yeah right not me exactly (laughs) so anyway whatever i'll be honest on the podcast (laughs) and with me (laughs) about my media consumption Mm -hmm. habits Kelly doesn't finish I'm going shows. to the it's Lovecraft fine. Country is so good. I'm totally going to finish it. We'll okay. believe it when we see it. <laughs> <laughs> One last point I think we can bring up in this segment is the raids that were going on. Like that just seemed like so superfluous. And it, they were supposedly to like, quote unquote, investigate the Sultana's murder. But we really we, we see that they're just scare tactics to control the population. And Karina also sees this. She calls her council out on it and is like, stop. I mean, it takes her like three quarters of the book to do so. But her mom died in front of her. So I don't know. That's a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. And I think it's um, I think we, we also see I don't remember what Malik's people were called. Do you remember? Ashrans. OK, yeah. Like we see the Ashrans are like the like lower class people actually i think we talk about this maybe later in like class or whatever but we see like a lot of this is affecting his people and not anyone else they're like 
Farid is like obviously trying to start some shit with some other group of people and it's just a wild but Karina was also expecting she was also distrustworthy of her council because she thought they were warmongering right like trying to start wars outside of their borders in order to enrich themselves which like fuck the military yeah, industrial sure. complex also yeah and well and she didn't realize like once she realized that they were doing it to like Afua's people she was like they they obviously had nothing mm-hmm. to do with this like what is going on like they've been helping me so uh, yeah it's obviously like she's trying to fix it but like the council is like you're not even the queen yet so no which is probably going to be even more complicated now that Hanan is like quote-unquote alive because she is actually has the right Mm -hmm. to the throne and I guess it's kind of controlled by Fareed so I'm interested to see how that's going to play out onward magical friends just as one does not simply walk into Mordor, one does not simply read fantasy without talking about representations of race, class, gender, and ability. This is our segment about power and bodies and how they relate. Can I just mention one thing at the top of the section? Of course. There is actually a moment that's like, one does not simply walk into Ksar Alahari or something. And so <laughs> I laughed. I lolled at that. <laughs> Like we saw in CBB, all Children of Blood and Bone, all the characters in this book are black, but that doesn't change the fact that oppression exists. And with Malik and his sister, we see that his people, the Eshron, um, are the oppressed group. I really appreciate that in these books because it really points out that, like, I think in the United States, we really think of oppression as something that black people deal with because, and you know, indigenous and people of color deal with because they look different but these things still happen in other countries where people look the same right but they they just like there's other things that set people apart which i i find interesting to like interrogate you know yeah and it's important to have that in mind right that we see we're seeing oppression along like ethnic and cultural and geographic distinctions or linguistic an example of this is that Malik, Layla, and Nadia can't speak their native tongue, Dajarat, without being persecuted. And they have to pretend to be someone they're not. And then they also mentioned something about a quarantine, which is also gets into the like the xenophobia, you know, about re- refugees bringing in whatevers. When really, if you're the United States, you deport COVID to Central America on your deportation flights. Yeah, I yeah, I, I thought that was really interesting. And I think we see it kind of, um, I don't know, like what the populations are like in this story. But I think we also see some of this in like minority majority countries, you know, where like the minority group is the one that's in charge. So it's very interesting. At one point, Malik is like out with the other champions and there's a raid going on. And the other champions think if Malik behaves a certain way and follows instructions, everything will be fine. Does this sound familiar at all? Just follow the instructions of the police and nothing bad will happen to you. I appreciated having this in this novel. I'm just like, ugh. So overhearing that like rhetoric. Yeah. And even on like a more macro level, especially for people of color, like follow the rules societally. Do what people in power want. And then you get proximity to power, but like not the actual thing. And Ibram X. Kendi in Stamp from the Beginning calls this uplift suasion like i'm gonna do things the way white people have done it in the hope that like i'll be exceptional or whatever as an outsider uh who's not white and then gain access to that sort of power and it just like doesn't work 
And even for like white women, surprise, surprise. Like, you know, like make a deal with the devil to get proximity to power and boom, here we are. Yeah. And then oppress other people. That's what they do. Yep. <laughs> Ugh, don't get me started. <laughs> Currently reading Stamp from the Beginning right now would recommend. Pretty good. Yeah. Let's talk about class. Karina's status as princess and her wealth protect her from knowing the atrocities happening to people outside the palace. So we also see this play out with Karina and the power dynamics with Aminata, her like handmaid. Mm-hmm. That's what they're called. Ladies maid. Ladies maid. Servant. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever they're called. Yeah. She has no idea what's going on outside of like her circle of the rich, wealthy, royal class of people, mm-hmm. which is just like pay attention people. To what's going on mm-hmm. very isolated very sheltered mm-hmm. and then you see the other end of the spectrum with malik and his family who are poor houseless don't have access to generational wealth and on top of that like centuries of oppression right like eshrans are used for domestic labor in zaran so they're caretakers for like higher class children <laughs> you can see this on page 202 another of those sound familiar moments Right. There's just so much wealth inequity on display throughout the novel, especially with like the big festivals and everything. And there's just like so much wasting water and resources. And ugh, yeah, just made me think of our current reality and yeah, eat the rich. <laughs> yeah. Talking about gender. Um, the spell that Karina wants to use to raise her mother from the dead is tied to biological sex. It like has to be a king that is used. So we see that play out when um, Fareed kills Tunde. Like he uses Tunde's blood or the, his death or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, we see that Karina's exposition actually addresses this on page 167. Like when she's strategizing about like how she has to rig the competition. Mm-hmm. And it actually ends up working out because then, you know... Who Dedele? Is that the person who like ends up helping Abinata at the end? One of the other champions, maybe. Who sh- who did the <laughs> Wakama standoff? What standoff isn't the word I'm looking for? Duel, like fight. Yeah, yeah. Moment. Well, then she didn't die, so that's helpful. You know, but yeah. like Tunde was a great character. I didn't want him to die either. He seemed, you know, like a a person who wasn't really em- em- espousing toxic masculine traits. I appreciated that they addressed the fact that it was super heteronormative and tied to biological sex. But like, I mean, it's just the way it's not like it was resolved or anything. No. And I think we see this in fantasy novels that deal with like blood magic kind of often where things or just magic in general, or like, you know, we'll have like, for example, in cemetery boys, the main character, Yadriel is his dad, and family misgender him a lot and part of that comes from obviously from the language being gendered and so i think we see this a lot in like magical sorry the language being gendered for brujo or bruja Mm -hmm. but i think we see this a lot in like magical situations where some things are for girls and some things are for boys you know like that kind of thing so um, i'm interested to see how this might change over time as people become more aware of like how this is kind of like a problem Mm -hmm. but i just wanted to point it out here that like I don't know. I don't I don't really like that very much, <laughs> especially because it's like blood. I don't think our blood is any different. <laughs> right. That's a good point. Yeah. The heart 
Oh, it was a heart. Yeah. So like those, I mean, I guess maybe dudes have bigger hearts because like normally they're bigger people. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but like biological sex is also, <laughs> we'll put stuff in the show notes about it. But yeah, I agree that this is, this wasn't my favorite part. Yes. Malik has been fed messages of patriarchal slash toxic masculinity by his father and society at large, such as this real men don't cry narrative. We just see like the, it's super toxic and it takes a real toll on him. Let's just not do that. Gender roles hurt everyone. Yeah. And like, I, I kind of forgot about this, but Malik does have like kind of like a shit dad. I don't know if he was mm-hmm. like their dad was bad with like the sisters as well. But like, I think Malik was like abused. Like he was, hit as a child and that sort of thing so um we also see that happening which i'm just like you know not not great don't hit your children (laughs) or anyone if you can help it maybe some people deserve it i mean i guess you can punch nazis (laughs) (laughs) yeah a lot going on with malik and i just want him to stay sweet and innocent Mm -hmm. because i I just want to hug him and protect him yeah i just love how that tenderness is he's like really held on to it mm-hmm. this one's for the soft boys out there love you <laughs> it seems like there might be a more or less matriarchal power structure in Zaran. at least i noticed regular relative gender parity in the powerful positions councils rulers etc but i don't know it, it seemed like maybe that's just because they banished the faceless king and it just seems like there have been only daughters and queens but maybe i'm making that up no, I mean, that does seem to be the case. The Kestrel, that's, I guess, the title of Karina's mom, like, mm-hmm. was obviously a firstborn daughter, and then so was Hanan. So, actually, maybe something will come of that in the next book. Like, yeah. why are they only having daughters? I don't know. Very interesting. But, yeah, the council and stuff, it's, like, pretty good, I would say. Mm-hmm. How about coloniality and imperialism? There's a lot to discuss here. Yeah. Um, we see Malik and his family have traveled through the Ojibwe, oh, I think it was actually pronounced Ojibwe, um, desert to try and find safety. His family are refugees, um, and we see them like with false papers mm-hmm. to try and get work in Zoran. I really appreciated seeing this. I don't think this is like, um, like we don't really get a story, like refugee stories in um, our fantasy books very often. So I appreciated seeing this. Yeah, not like as developed as this mm-hmm. one. It really went into like the geopolitics of why there is migration, which is something I appreciated because that's not something that gets brought up in discussions like IRL. Mm -hmm. There's a quote on page 30 that I think will help set the stage for this conversation. Quote, Eshran hatred was nothing new to Malik. This had been the reality for his people for more than two centuries, ever since the Zarani army had marched into the mountains to quell a war between the Eshran clans and had never marched out. The Zarani claimed that the Ashran elders had been unable to pay their debts afterward, which justified the continued occupation. The elders argued that Zaran had used the war as an excuse to steal fertile Ashran land as the Ojibai grew ever more inhospitable, which is the desert. I like how it was very realistic is the wrong word, but like, I don't know. It really made cognitive sense that it's like a war over resources and it's a Imperial power coming in saying they have a claim that they don't really have pretending to be like a peacekeeper and then does this all sound familiar right and then like in any way shape or form and then never <laughs> fucking leaving and then blaming the people who are emigrating and migrating and are refugees for the problems that the empire itself created so yeah 
that anti-immigrant xenophobia is blatant and the logical fallacies are the same as the ones we hear in real life. The lazy taking jobs, benefiting from wealth that isn't theirs. And that all just ignores the conditions that create, like who created the conditions that force people to migrate in the first place. I really appreciated how nuanced this was going off of what you were saying. Yeah, the author, I think, did a really good job with these like things that we see in our day-to-day world, in our real world, and bringing them into this fantasy world and like talking about them, I think, in a, a way that might be relatable to some people who don't understand the issues, who have like ignored the issues, or who may be like, new to the issues. Excellently said. We see Tunde and Malik getting to some common ground when they're having this conversation and Tunde reveals that he's the Rani and is part of this, like, in spite of all his privileges, class privileges, he's also of foreign descent and they experience discrimination as well, but to different degrees. This is on page 256. And this is something Malik hadn't considered. And I think at that point is when their relationship kind of changes to like really trusting each other and working together a little bit more. I mean, obviously that's not how it works out at the end. But I like this moment where these two men were realizing that they had something in common. And like a good reminder that like oppressed people probably like if we stick together, then maybe that is helpful in some way to like making change, you know? Totally. Another thing, like a little nugget that I thought was particularly good that the author included, just like insightful and important to talk about, is this, how the cultural appropriation and erasure of original people happening at the like Solstasia midweek party. Malik notices that one of the dances from Eshran has made its way to Zeran, but the Eshran people themselves aren't welcome. So it's like all of these non-Eshrans enjoying this dance right and knowing it very well that he didn't even like Malik didn't is from this culture and didn't really even know it and only danced it at like on important occasions ceremonies or weddings or things like that this like showing how cultural appropriation works in this fantastical world I think is just a very effective way to explain what it is and just be like no it's not okay yeah well and parallels to the real world Mm -hmm. like I don't know in lots of ways that the long fingernails, the mm, cornrows, mm-hmm. braids, like all those things, curly hair even, you know. So yep. those are the parallels. The music, the dancing, right now. all of it. It is very, I think the author, Rosanne Brown, did like a really good job bringing these like things to the forefront of the novel. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about ability, body, minds, etc. Malik can see wraiths slash the grim folk, and that makes people think he's mentally ill. Part of me thinks, like, I'm guessing maybe the wider world doesn't realize magic is real. Yeah. Seems to be part of that. But, ugh, poor Malik. (laughs) This is just so tragic on so many levels. The gaslighting and its impacts, and he's a character that you can really see. Especially, there's a, a passage on page 88 where he's describing, you know, this years and years of trauma that he's accumulated and how that affects his sense of self and how he is able to access his magic. And then we're seeing him, you know, gradually unlearn that and do some relearning. Yeah. We also see that both Malik and Karina are dealing with some serious, serious anxiety. Ooh. Yeah. So relatable. I at feel this for moment. them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. And then Malik, you know, has goes a step further and has panic attacks too. I thought that were expressed or not expressed, like represented with compassion and without judgment, which I appreciated. Mm-hmm. I'd never seen that for a panic attack before. And then like on the flip side, Karina has migraines, 
which we realize are part, maybe part of her repressing those memories of the death of her father and sister. Right. And maybe just repressing her magic in general, too, because we learn Mm -hmm. at the end that she's been, she just like buried it down really deep. And then that release, like when Malik stabbed her with the spirit blade or whatever at the end, that was like released the bent up like tangle of her necra or whatever, however it was explained. I thought that that was really cool. Yeah. But like, yeah, Karina's dealing with chronic pain. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was interesting that Malik has traditional remedies from a shran that Karina has never heard of. So it just goes to show that, you know, indigenous knowledges are super important. Yeah, for sure. Also, Malik traps a deer in his mind. That I didn't see this coming. I thought it was so cool. I really loved how it turned the sentiment of this. My mind isn't the most hospitable place is something that he says at one point. And it like it was a prison for him or how it could be like trap. He could be trapped in his mind. And then he's literally taking that and making it work for him to trap this demon in his or wraith, whatever in his mind. Like, oh, my gosh, didn't see it coming. So cool. Yeah, I'm interested to see how that'll like turn out. Like, I feel like having another person in your head is probably not the most like easy thing to do <laughs> or to live with like how do you sleep at night what if they just like try and keep you up i would like be like get out of here i need my sleep maybe it's gonna be like klaus and ben <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> i hope so layla at one point asks malik how are you feeling after this whole like possession debacle and at this point he's like there's a paragraph where he's like i'm feeling this way this way and this way and it's all like super shitty and overwhelming and like a mental key smash and outwardly outwardly he just tells her i'm fine very relatable very relatable i mean sometimes you just like cannot put those things into words and you're like i don't have the time to deal with telling you everything right now especially because then it's gonna i'm gonna feel obligated to make you feel better about it or i am not yeah. you yeah yeah, yeah you have exactly. better boundaries than me well <laughs> I am pretty good with my boundaries, I will say, sometimes. (laughs) Finally, it's time for Shipwrecked, a segment about sexuality, asexuality, sex, romance, and relationships. And sometimes we take some liberties and do some shipping of our own. Okay, do you ship Karina and Malik? Malik? Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I don't... Do you ship them? I don't know. I... Maybe... I shipped them like throughout the middle of the book and then Tunde really broke my heart there at the end. Oh my God. Oh, interesting. Yeah. He just died so valiantly. I mean, he didn't see it coming. Yeah. He like basically just died. I wouldn't call that a valiant <laughs> death. He didn't even fight That's back. That's true. He just died. <laughs> he just was killed. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I shipped them at the moment, but like maybe that will change in the next book. They just didn't seem like very well suited towards each other and... There's like a power imbalance and, you know, just like all that stuff, like class, ethnicity, like in such a way that they I like they would really have to do have some like radical candor talks <laughs> <laughs> and like talk through, you know, I don't know. It just seemed like I was just like, nah, I'm not I'm not really here for it. I mean, Tunde was great. I don't really have like I don't really need him to like be with Karina or whatever. Well, he just seemed like a really sweet guy. That ship has sailed anyway. <laughs> Well, yeah, that too. But I was just like, meh, it's fine. Mm-hmm. He's fine. I don't know. I'm just not really here for Malik and <laughs> Malik and Karina. I think the witty rejoinders about like, I've had you on your knees how many times? I liked those. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the banter. But it like was mostly one-sided and from 
Karina. Yeah, so, so just like again with the power imbalance, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know that I could get over that right at the moment, mm-hmm. but like if it's like a resand Feyre kind of thing, where you know, like Karina makes Malik like her high lord or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> I'll be on board. Ooh, They're both fairies. For, yeah, spoiler alert for. Akamath. Spoiler word for some books that came out (laughs) 10 years ago. Okay, not 10 years ago, but still, I'm just like, I feel like I need to say it, but now it's too late because I already said the thing. (laughs) So if you haven't read A Court of Mist and Fury yet, like, you're well behind the times, (laughs) which is fine. But also, your pandemic self deserves it. So treat yourself. Yeah. Kelly can put a little spoiler alert in the show. (laughs) (laughs) Kelly. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Karina's relationship to her mother, the Kestrel. Oof. There's a lot there. Oh my gosh. Just like the grief, I guess, after the fire. You really see in their relationship how that separates us when what we most crave is proximity and how that is just like sometimes the people who are closest to us by our family ties are like actually the hardest people to reach. Yeah. I didn't really like her mom, like the Kestrel very Mm -hmm. much. And I couldn't tell like how close they were before this because it seemed like Karina was probably closer with her dad. Yeah. But I'm also not a huge fan of parental figures in general. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, yeah, this seems right. Parents are terrible. <laughs> yeah, she really messed up. She ignored You ignored your child after a huge tragedy and that had consequences. Yeah. And then she's like all pissy with Karina. But I'm like, dude, this is half your fault. Like you're not doing anything to help or support her. So it seemed like her mom was quasi ignoring her for Hanan anyway, because she yeah. was the firstborn and was going to like take over the throne duties, etc. Yeah, which is like some bullshit. If the crown has taught me anything, it's that you should forget about that firstborn and really care about the other kids because that first child continually reminds you of your impending death. (laughs) Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's what I learned from the crown. (laughs) Great show. One other thing I really appreciated that I think deserves to be in the shipwreck section is how sibling relationships are represented with such truth and clarity in this book. What really made me think about this is the huge epic blowout fight that Malik and Layla have on pages 312 to 313 around there. It's just like only something that siblings can do to each other. I don't know. Like I've had those blowout fights with my brother before and it's just like, woof. Yeah. Fight with siblings are just something different. Yeah. They just like know how to hit you where it hurts. Mm -hmm. And just, like, no pulling punches either. I don't know. It's radical candor. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, I agree. I I like their relationship. Like, I just really enjoyed their relationship as well. And, like, how, like, Layla seemed to, like, come to terms with, like, what Malik was dealing with and, like, how this was probably kind of hard for him as well. Like, sometimes I think when you are so close to someone, it can kind of be difficult to see, like, the ways that they're suffering because you think you know, Mm -hmm. even if you don't. You know, like, you're you're not them. Yeah, we're assuming things, even if we're close to people. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to talk about writing style, narration, characterization, plot structure, and basically whatever else comes to mind in a segment called Kill Your Darlings. We have a content warning at the beginning of the book. I thought this was really well done because the book does deal a lot. Like I can see I don't often have panic attacks, but I can see how like reading about them sometimes can be like very stressful. There is a Vox 
about I think about anxiety one of the explained ones and the person is like simulating was like to have a panic attack and I started like feeling like oh I don't like can we get this over with because like Mm -hmm. but that and like all the death going on like it was just really nice to see that at the beginning of the book like while I might not have needed it you never you like you never know who needs to see that so that they can like mentally prepare themselves for what they're about to read and I thought that was really nice Absolutely. I thought this is excellent. I love when these are included at the book. It's just like, why not? It doesn't hurt. It only helps people. Yeah. Malik actually stabs Karina. I didn't think that would happen because in books, the characters are often reluctant about these sort of things. Not Kaz, but like (laughs) everyone else. Um, and I was really proud of him, <laughs> especially because the book was setting it up the whole time. Like he can't like, I'm not going to do it. I won't be able to do it. And then he finally does at the end. I was so proud. Just like I felt like a proud mom being like, oh, my God, look at my assassin son. Like, I'm so <laughs> proud of you. And I was just real happy because like a lot of times I'm like, oh, my God, why didn't you just kill them? But he was, like, prepared to do the thing he was. in order to get his sister back. And I was just like, wow, impressed. Ooh, some puppies. <laughs> Can you hear them? Yes. <laughs> Excellent. I found another smells like YA moment. Apparently, people's hair smells like rain. <laughs> Karina's hair smelled like rain at one moment. And I'm like, I, what hair products are you using? Because I want my hair to smell like rain. I mean, I don't have very much of it, but... I think rain is a very common scent that I feel like we get in YA books. I don't know why, because I'm like, rain does have a very specific smell, and yeah. I don't know what that smell is exactly, like where it comes from, but I'm like, oh, well, that's not cool. And- <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I think it is cool. But I'm also like, yeah, what products are you using? How are you bottling that smell? Mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Rain. <sighs> very. So that's a, cl- a classic. Classic. Oh, I got a cinnamon in a new book, but I think it's the smell of like the person's magic. So that's like kind of cool. Like their magic has a smell. I like that. I've never heard of that. Yeah, I like it too. Legendborn. Oh, nice. I'm just loving that book. I've never thought so much about how hard hard wraiths is to pronounce in English until we did this episode. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Kelly and I have been talking about this book and I'm like wraiths. I like feel like I have to like really. Wraiths work at saying it i just was like i'm gonna stumble through we 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 are almost done with this episode <laughs> and like it. we've really made it through being able to say wraiths no problem but it's like a hard it's like a difficult word i don't know why i think it's that dub like that r with the th like it's or the w r i don't know it just something is hard to like i get stum i stumble around it sometimes but we've done it yeah high five virtual yeah, high five Yay. <laughs> I think I mentioned this before, either in the initial reaction or somewhere else, but there are just so many twists, especially in the last hundred pages. So good. Wasn't expecting it. Yeah. Here for the pacing. Really happy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Recommend if you like An Ember in the Ashes by Saba Tahir. We have some similar magical creatures and I feel like kind of a similar ship. Children of Blood and Bone by Tommy Adiemi, similar setting in a similar ship. Like, I think we're all oh, lots of enemies to lovers, which is one of my faves, even though I don't really mm-hmm. feel like, well, Tommy Adiemi, though, that's some real enemies to lovers. Yeah, really but <laughs> I do love that trope. It's one of my faves. And I would also say City of Brass by S.A. Chakraborty because there's lots of mysterious lore and unearthing family history slash drama and chosen one energy 
And also wraiths. Also wraiths. <laughs> <laughs> Before we end, it's time for real talk. Did making the making uh did reading this book make your perspective change in any way or did it make you interrogate a concept system or trend that you hadn't before? Jesse. It looks like Kelly has a lot of real talks for this episode. I may or may not have 4 points. I don't think I had any. You did it. <laughs> I didn't write any down. <laughs> I probably meant to think about it some more and be like, I'll have something for real talk by the time we talk about it, but I didn't. I would like to just say again that I appreciate Malik's ability to stab someone when necessary. That's all I'm going to say for real talk. I just really appreciate a character who's willing to do what has to be done, even though he might be in love with her. I mean, I don't know. A little sister. I don't have a little sister. So I'm kind of like, would you really kill her for a little sister? But maybe. I don't know. (laughs) He seemed to really love her. I don't really know. (laughs) It sounded like he raised her. Yeah, that's true. So maybe you kind of feel different. Yeah. I probably should have said something about like raising your siblings probably um, in real talk. Mm -hmm. but Parentification of of children, maybe. Yeah. As an oldest sibling, I feel that. Mm -hmm. That's all I'll say about it. It's no fun. Don't do that to your kids if you can help it. That's all I got. What are your four things for real talk? (laughs) Point one is about fear because this book deals a lot with fear. It is really showing, I think, that we have to look deeply at it, feel it, and get curious about it instead of just repressing it or turning it into hate or wallowing in it, I guess. Point two. A lot of this book, for me, brought up the importance of each person's journey and, like, walking themselves home. By this, I mean, like, working to caretake our inner child. Or maybe this feels woo. But, like, Malik and several parts in the exposition is, like, reaching out to his younger self and trying to extend his current self some compassion. And that shit is hard. And I just wanted to recognize that this book represents it really carefully. And I appreciated that. Point three, the scene where Malik is waving the tail about hyena's bag for the second challenge. I just, that part, I love that caption, that chapter. I was just like enraptured and really caught up in the story. And it made me think about how we desperately need all the story weavers at this moment in time. So I love reading all the books and seeing what people come up with. And last one, I promise. Hyena says on page 414, you tear yourself down for things you could not have known or done. Why punish a seed for not yet being a tree? I'm just going to leave that one there for us all to ponder. Thank you for coming and bringing so many things to Real Talk. Much appreciated. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for listening to The Library Coven. We'll be back in two weeks for a discussion of Wicked Fox by Cat Cho. As always, we'd love to be in conversation with you magical folks. Let us know what you think of the episode, anything we missed, or just say hi by dropping a line in the comments or by reaching out to us on Twitter or Instagram at The Library Coven. You can post or tweet about the show using the hashtag critically reading and The Library Coven. And you can contact us via email at thelibrarycoven at gmail.com. You can subscribe to The Library Coven on the podcast app of your choice. And we'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review the show and spread the word to other magical folks out there who you think would enjoy it. 
If you're able to support our labor financially, you can make a one-time donation to us on Coffee. You can support us monthly on Patreon in exchange for mini-sodes, bonus apps, swag, and much more, early access episodes, Discord, etc., etc. And now you can support the show by shopping at our bookshop.org affiliate page. Kelly is recording on Cheyenne, Ute, and Arapaho land. Jesse is recording on Peoria, Kaskakia, Payankasha, Weya, Miami, Muscotin, Odawa, Sac, Meskwaki, Kickapoo, Potawatomi, Ojibwe, and Chickasaw land. Until next time, stay magical. Katrina, Katrina, (laughs) Malik and Katrina are these doppelgangers that don't exist.